Hi guys, I'm Dana Al-Hanbali and this is Something to Consider. Today we're filming the last episode of the first season of Something to Consider. And just saying that brings me such a sense of pride because I feel like this show really has been such an important step for me as it was tied to my growth as a person in so many ways. I never intended to start a podcast, ever. In fact, being on any sort of show where I would share personal reflections or my thoughts publicly was never an aspiration of mine. My social media wasn't even public till about two or three years ago. Yes, I've done the odd interview, keynote, or panel discussion in the past. But to put myself center stage on a public platform with a camera pointed at me and share things that only made it to the pages of journal entries or stayed in my head as thoughts was never something I even imagined I would have considered appropriate within my line of work. I always represented a business, an image, a brand that stood for strength, hard work, leadership, and whatever else came with the professional side of my business. I always thought I had to be this example of what a strong, accomplished businesswoman should be. I worked hard to get where I got, and to taint that with any sort of vulnerability felt unnecessary. It felt like it would sway from the story. It felt like it would be trying to ask for empathy that I didn't even want from anyone else, including myself, and I took pride in this. Looking back on the past couple of months, I'm really proud of the accomplishment. Writing these episodes has become such a joy. Thinking of the topics, reflecting on how I feel about it and what my perspective would be based on my own experience and learning, and figuring out how to share it in a way where it feels relatable in the nature of it, being more of an exchange of perspective and insight versus something that was authoritative or dictating that one point of view was right or wrong. I truly wanted to share things that I thought were worth considering. 14 weeks of writing a script before the sun came up at 4 a.m. with my cup of coffee. Editing that script to create a structure that I felt would benefit someone who was listening. 14 weeks shooting the content at the studio with Podster, which you must know that I actually spent the night before of every single episode wondering if I should just cancel the shoot the next day because I never felt prepared enough to be on camera. Even now, it's still I, I, I still get nervous. I questioned every single interview, every single topic, and got anxiety before the camera even went on. 14 weeks of working with my editor, Mudassir, to cut down and edit the episodes. 14 weeks of working with different Arabic editors, Khulud, Isra, and Sara. 14 weeks of uploading the content, writing the captions, budgeting the promotion of the clips, and the list goes on and on tracking the feedback, wondering how people will receive it, wondering if I shared too much or not enough, hoping that I would be understood, but also that I would be doing justice to the title of the show and challenging perceptions that I felt were no longer serving me. Is this something someone would actually consider? It truly has been a journey. But writing this episode was a task that I was dreading for some time. Because while I didn't know how each of the episodes would run, I had this urge to end it with a story that really impacted my own life 
and was more or less the missing link to everything that I had addressed so far. I've talked about my own experiences as an entrepreneur, what I would do differently, and the major lessons that came from my own success in the industry. I touched on my childhood, my education, creativity, business, healing, mental health, love, and really tried to challenge myself by leaving the choice of the topic up to the public polls that would inspire some sort of consideration from myself. But there is a part of the story that is missing. And I've struggled to figure out how I want to share it. One, because I worry about how it will be received, as it is sensitive and personal. Second, it's one that still gets me emotional, even till today. It was a hard part of my journey that I didn't expect to have to deal with, ever. So here it goes. In the lead up to my burnout, which I talk about in episode six, if you haven't seen it yet, I would actually suggest that you listen to that episode before you continue with this one. A lot of the stress and the anxiety I was having that was an accumulation of years of compartmentalizing, suppressing, overexerting, and straining myself started to affect me physically. I started to get sick. And it would fluctuate between it being fatigue, lethargy, muscle pains, and sometimes just a really bad flu. Things that were really easy to brush off as, ah, it happens to everyone, whatever. Power through it, Dana. I would take it easy for a few days and then continue to go full force. Maybe I'd change my workout routine, eat more frequently throughout the day, introduce the occasional smoothie into my diet. You know, your typical self-care, quick Instagram story-worthy solutions. I wasn't really listening to my body. So the issues started to develop. If I got an injury while working out, I would take some anti-inflammatory meds, slow down for a few days, then back at the same intensity of the lifestyle that I had. Then it would be my gut. I developed a series of gut issues like SIBO, which stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It happens when there's an abnormal increase in the bacteria in the small intestine. This wasn't something directly caused by stress, but any change in our body's microbiome can actually increase stress and anxiety. So as you can imagine, with the state I was already in, how much of an inconvenience having yet another thing to add to my already stressful life. I worked with two nutritionists in Kuwait because I wasn't getting fast enough results. I consulted with a specialized nutritionist in London. I was on so many supplements over the course of a year that real food became secondary to liquid meals like soups and smoothies that would help me ingest so many of these pills. I started trying different elimination diets, low food map diets, keto, whatever was recommended, I would try for a few weeks or months, but it just wasn't changing. Symptoms would decrease for a while, but then something new would come up. The point that I'm trying to make here is that my body was trying to tell me something. My body was sending me signals. My body was trying to get my attention, but I would not have it. I wasn't listening. My brain, my logic, the story in my head was in charge, and that was that. But then I got the reality check of a lifetime. I discovered something on one of my breasts. It started as something that looked like it was just a skin irritation, 
that I would need to apply different creams to, and it would just go. It felt like a lesion of some sort, if you will. I didn't really do anything about it. I was a runner at the time and thought maybe this is just something that was a result of friction and sweat from the gym clothes, the actual material of the clothes. I tried different creams and oils, but it wasn't going. The symptoms started to get worse and there started to be bleeding. I saw this as something that was more of an inconvenience than something to actually fear. I went to the dermatologist who prescribed me an ointment. It didn't work, I tried another one. Finally, nine months later, I decided that this was a female problem. Let me go speak to a female specialized doctor. I went to a gynecologist. And it's funny because later I was told that most women who go through issues with the breast think that it would be something that you would need to go to a gynecologist for because the assumption is that she, you know, she specializes in the female anatomy. So she'd be the right person to go to, which in this case wasn't the right call. She took a look at it and referred me to the resident oncologist at the hospital. For those of you that don't know, oncologists are doctors that diagnose and treat tumors. We went through a series of tests, blood tests, ultrasounds. He had his initial assumptions, but he was saying things that my brain was not ready to hear. I went to another doctor. I got a mammogram, which I didn't think I would need to do until my 40s because that's what everyone tells you about mammograms. You don't need to think about them until then. The mammogram was not telling us enough, so I needed an MRI. Now, keep in mind that I'm doing all this at a normal hospital, not at a specialized clinic. So even the MRI machine isn't the one that is specialized for doing MRIs for the breast. And the reason that I tell you this, because this process was the worst experience of my life. The not knowing where to go, who to ask, where to turn to, what to actually expect was a nightmare. And while the health part was the reason to be concerned, it was the not knowing what I was doing in the process and dealing with different doctors until I got to the right specialist that was really what was tormenting me. It was, I think, the most tormenting part of the process. Anyways, the results of the MRI came back and it was confirmed that I had two very small tumors or masses that were in my breast. I prefer to use the word mass, although they both mean the same thing. So that is how I'm going to start referring to it for the remainder of this episode. The doctor at the time was suspicious of something called Paget's disease. Now, without getting into too much details, because this still really is a sensitive topic for me and it's still really hard to discuss, Paget's disease is a rare form of breast cancer that accounts for less than 4% of all breast cancers in general. I don't have access to the data for the region, so I don't want to provide information that is incorrect. But what shocked me the most about this finding was that how common it was for women in their 30s to get breast cancer in general, not this specific kind, but in general, and how little we actually know about it. I don't know about anyone listening, but anything beyond the ugly pink branding and the looking for lumps while you're in the shower exercise that's always promoted, that's all I ever used to hear about when it came to this topic with women. And that in itself made me so mad. 
I was so angry and frustrated with how no one told me this. Of course, me focusing on how angry this made me was the perfect distraction to not actually dealing with the situation I was in. I was terrified. I was literally terrified. Every single worst case scenario imaginable was going through my head at the time. And keep in mind, this was over a period of months. I was not thinking positive. I was not interested in anyone being positive. I was just mad and scared. I was referred to a breast cancer clinic after that, where I met with a specialist who was beyond gracious with me and educated me more on the issue. And I definitely did feel better after that. What I appreciated about her was that she helped me understand the various options I had should this turn into the worst case scenario. I went through a series of tests all over again, which included blood tests, mammograms, ultrasounds, and MRIs in the proper machines that could help pinpoint the size and the position of both masses. The results came back the same, reaffirming the same suspicions, but we would need to go do a biopsy to determine if in fact the cells were cancerous. We did the biopsy, it sucked. And while all this was happening, I would still be going to work. <laughs> Rearranging meetings to make sure that after my biopsy, I would give myself, you know, an extra hour or so to rest, maybe grab a bite to eat before my next client presentation. <sighs> I remember one night we had an evening shoot for an ad and I literally came straight home from one of my mammograms to the office at 9 p.m., just to check on the team and make sure that they were okay. The shoot was going well, and I would stay an extra hour or two before heading home to go straight to bed, anything to avoid dealing with what was happening. Now, did I have to do any of these things? No, absolutely not. I had a team I could have delegated. I could have slowed down. I should have slowed down. Waiting for the biopsy results was awful. My parents at this point were the only people that knew. I didn't share it with anyone. I wasn't interested in positive affirmations or a can-do attitude. But I caught myself the day after my biopsy thinking something that served as the real wake-up call of my life. You see, part of my conversation with my doctor when we were discussing worst-case scenarios were conversations around surgery, radiation, God forbid, chemotherapy, and a potential mastectomy. It was important for me to just prepare myself for the worst and to hear it all from my doctor so that I could do the typical Dana thing and plan it all out. Plan it all out so that it wasn't an inconvenience to anyone around me, including my business. So the next day when I was in my office thinking about it, three things came to mind. And it's so sad and it gets me so emotional every time that I think about it. What is this news going to do to my parents? Will this break them? Will I ever be able to breastfeed my child one day? Will I ever be able to get married after an experience like this? Will anyone even find me attractive? And even now, every time I repeat these three things, I tear up because how sad that up until this very point in this specific story, I'm getting sign after sign to take a look at myself in the mirror and take care of me and I'm still wondering how potentially my sickness could become an inconvenience for others. I'm not married, I do not have children, and my parents, 
They've made it through literal wars in their countries. They can handle this. And I should have given them enough credit for that. And I just started crying. I cried so much that day. I was so sad. It was all just so heavy to take. I wanted to talk to someone about it, but I really didn't want anyone to make me feel better. I just, I wanted to be, I, I wanted to talk, I wanted to vent. I left work that day and decided I was going to tell my best friend about it. I asked her just to listen because I needed to talk and then I shared what I was going through and I just continued to cry. And I think that this is one of those moments that really was a defining moment for me and my best friend because Sally just sat there with me, completely silent and just cried with me. She didn't try to be positive. She didn't try to tell me to stay optimistic or give me any advice on how to feel or suggest how I could look at this. Sally cried with me. She cried with me. She let me talk. She let me make really dark, inappropriate jokes about the irony of the situation, which I'm not going to share, but it really helped. It really helped at the time. And then she asked a question, one that I wish every human who genuinely cares for another human would always ask because it is truly the best way to support someone. She asked, how can I be there for you? She gave me the chance to decide how she would be there for me. She didn't impose her own way of showing love for me in this incredibly sensitive time. She gave me the chance to decide what I needed from her, and she was prepared to do it. And I will never forget that. So Sally, thank you. The tests came back benign. Alhamdulillah. Cancer was now officially off the table, and I could go live my life. The condition was to now continue to do MRIs every six months to monitor the growth of the mass. This experience really was a wake-up call in every sense of the word. I felt like I was being given another chance to live life on my terms. It instilled a sense of hope in me that I wanted to capitalize on and use as a fuel to go after everything that I had always wanted to do. I needed to change my life. I needed to change everything. Fast forward to selling and exiting my company, taking a break from working, moving to a new country, and beginning the very long ongoing process of healing, I get a second wake-up call. In January of this year, 2023, my symptoms were back, and I needed to do another MRI. The mass had grown and required surgery. The surgery had small risks associated to it and some long-term effects for my life that I would need to take time and think about and properly consider. Funny enough, I actually recorded the first episode of this podcast the day before my MRI. At this point, I was at a different stage of my life emotionally, physically, and mentally. I don't mean to suggest that I was healed. In fact, I no longer believe in the illusion of being healed. We're never done healing. Life is an opportunity for you to continue to work on your progress of becoming a better version of you. I decided I wanted to take time to think about it. Really take time to think about it. 
I wasn't going to rush this. February was my birthday month, and I decided I would take a much-needed trip to Scotland where I would go and do two things, run and write. That's all I wanted. I wanted to wake up every morning and run in nature, in the rain, somewhere new and beautiful, and I wanted to have my notebook and write. Write everything. My memories, my thoughts, my ideas, my experiences, stories, poems, anything and everything. And that is exactly what I did. At this point, I shared the news with my family, and by the end of my trip, I told them I wanted to go the ahead with the surgery. Both my parents and my brother wanted to fly in and be there for me in the process. I still hadn't released the first episode of the podcast, but after I decided I was going through with the surgery, I uploaded the episode to the platforms and got on a plane to come back to Dubai. Needless to say, the love, feedback, and support I got by the time I landed was overwhelming, to say the least. So many people I knew, close and not so close, strangers even, were reacting to the episode and commenting and reposting, and it was just beautiful and overwhelming. Honestly, I know sometimes it's easy to take for granted the effect kindness can have on someone, especially in today's world of social media love, but you never know what someone else is going through. Your very small act of supporting or being positive or being kind really can go a long way. There really isn't any reason not to do it. There is never a wrong time to be kind to someone. There is never a wrong time to support someone. There doesn't have to be anything in it for you. There's this quote from the movie Wonder, which I love. When given the choice between being right or being kind, choose kind. Just choose kind. One week later, I recorded my second episode and went into surgery that same week. My family's support was incredible. Having them around me meant the world, and it was the kind of energy I didn't even know I needed at the time. I had no doubt that they would always come through for me. I just think that sometimes, when you're used to doing things on your own, you forget that it's okay to want people around. It's okay to want help and want love and want support. I also had the support of Sally, Odelle, Lujane, and Mimo, who were with me on call throughout the entire process, who have loved me the most for who I am since we became friends decades ago, and who have supported me during this difficult time in my life. I'm so grateful for the four of you and the role that you've played in my healing. The surgery was a success thanks to my incredible angel of a doctor who I credit with really helping me manage the emotion behind the experience. Dr. Wissam was a godsend, and I will forever be grateful for the role that he played in my life at that time. Aside from being beyond skilled in what he does as a doctor, his bedside manner is a true gift. Doctors and nurses are truly angels on earth, and the role that they've played in my life, not just with this experience, but in the experiences with my family and extended family that they've had with them has been immeasurable. They will continue to be in my prayers forever. Eight weeks post-surgery, I did a minor reconstruction, which required another four weeks of recovery. 
And throughout that period of time, the podcast has really become my outlet. And I feel good. I feel good today. I'm so grateful. I didn't know what my intention was when I started the podcast. I didn't know what I wanted to do with it or what the vision of it was or what I was trying to do or be. There was no plan. I was planning as I was going, as I went, and I have loved every minute of it. Even the anxiety before the shoot, <laughs> I did my best to embrace it all. My life today is so different than what it was 10 months ago. My life in general is so different than what I thought it would be at this age. It's so different than what I had initially imagined. And believe it or not, and I swear, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely being honest about this, I'm so happy with all of it, especially the health part. I cannot tell you how much as difficult as this experience was, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I'm alive, I'm healthy, I have everything important that I need. And those three things are more than enough. I called this episode Liberated because I remember thinking when I decided to really change my life and take the difficult steps I needed to take to actually get there, feeling this weird elation mixed with sadness, mourning what I was leaving behind. I was nervous and scared, but also very excited and very empowered because I was doing this for me. Every decision I took this past year has been for Dana because she deserves it. She deserved to be put first. I needed to take care of me, and I'm so glad and grateful to myself that I had the opportunity to do so. And in doing so, I liberated myself from the parameters that I had set on my own life and what I'm capable of. This is a story. This is my story. This is the story. And I'm here to tell it. I remember before leaving Kuwait, I connected to this incredible woman, Manal, who's also a creative and an entrepreneur. She is so passionate and intense and has this gorgeous way of articulating what I'm feeling in Arabic. She said, Dana, inti hurra mutahrira, free and liberated. Go live the life we all know you deserve. We'll be rooting for you. And it just stuck with me. So Manal, you are beautiful. Thank you. <sighs> I wanted to find a way to end this episode on a note that somehow linked back to business or entrepreneurship. I keep saying this because the initial intention behind the podcast that it was that it would cater to that kind of audience. But you know what I realized? Actually, it was something that I read by a Native American author named John Trudell. He says, I am just a human being trying to make it in a world that is rapidly losing its understanding of being human. The podcast was my pursuit of depth in the stories I wanted to tell and an opportunity to connect to people and have conversations like this. And connect it has, whether online or in real life, it has opened new doors that I am so excited to explore. It has brought friendships that have elevated my awareness in so many ways. 
being human in all its glory of vulnerability, complexity, and beauty in itself has given me so much to say. These experiences are a reminder of what it takes to be truly human. I feel more powerful in my vulnerability than I ever did in the illusion of perfection. And it is that reason I know that I have what it takes to build an incredible business or brand. And I have big plans for myself. And I plan on embracing everything. And whatever comes my way, I have full faith that it will make me better. My experiences have fueled my fire. Your support has fueled my fire. And I look forward to what tomorrow will bring. This episode was important to me in more ways than one. Not because I expect to get something specific out of sharing this, but I know how lonely and isolating it is to feel like you're going through something alone, no matter what that thing is. I hope this first season has offered you that in some way. I hope that in listening, you found things that may have resonated with you. I hope that, if anything, you come away from this episode reminded of the fact that you are the most important person in your life. And you owe it to yourself to acknowledge that and honor yourself by prioritizing what your mind, body, and soul require. We will be back with season two of Something to Consider soon. I have a beautiful lineup of guests that have showed an interest of being on the show and guests that I'd love to reach out to, as well as bring back some of the favorites from this season. I'm sure there will be new learnings and things that I will want to share as I do also like the solo formats of this show. So don't forget about us. Please do make sure that you're following the show on the platform that you're listening to it on and my social media accounts for updates on the next season and when it will be released. In the meantime, I want to thank you for the privilege of your time. I'm Dan Al-Hanbali, and I hope you found something to consider. <laughs>